Hello. Greetings. We're so glad that you've joined us, and we're very glad that you have interest in spiritual matters. My name's Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. And today, let us explore Jeremiah's letter, as recorded in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 through 32. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elassah the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease." But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to Yahweh on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares Yahweh. For thus says Yahweh, when seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares Yahweh, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares Yahweh, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares Yahweh, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Because you have said, Yahweh has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Thus says Yahweh concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, and concerning all the people who dwell on this city, your kinsmen who did not go out with you into exile. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Behold, I am sending on them sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them like vile figs that are so rotten that they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with sword, famine, and pestilence, and will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a curse, a terror, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. Because they did not pay attention to my words, declares Yahweh, that I persistently sent to you by my servants the prophets, but you would not listen declares Yahweh. Hear the word of Yahweh, all you exiles whom I sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab the son of Kaliah and Zedekiah the son of Messiah, who are prophesying a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will strike them down before your eyes. Because of them this curse shall be used by all the exiles from Judah and Babylon. Yahweh make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Bab Babylon roasted in the fire, because they have done an outrageous thing in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and they have spoken in my name lying words that I did not command them. I am the one who knows, and I am witness, declares Yahweh. To Shemaiah of Nehalam you shall say, 
Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, You have sent letters in your name to all the people who are in Jerusalem, and to Zephaniah, the son of Maaseiah, the priest, and to all the priests, saying, Yahweh has made you priest instead of Jehoiada, the priest, to have charge in the house of Yahweh over every madman who prophesies, to put him in the stocks and neck irons. Now why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, who is prophesying to you? For he has sent to us in Babylon, saying, Your exile will be long. Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. Then the word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah, Send to all the exile, saying, Thus says Yahweh concerning Shemaiah of Nehalam, Because Shemaiah had prophesied to you when I did not send him, and has made you trust in a lie. Therefore thus says Yahweh, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah of Nehalam and his descendants. He shall not have any one living among this people, and he shall not see the good that I will do to my people, declares Yahweh, for he has spoken rebellion against Yahweh. So this letter, which is a letter and some of the responses to the letter, are written by Jeremiah to those who had already been exiled. Now, a lot of times we think of the exile as one exile, but actually there were multiple waves of exile that took place. In the days of Jehoiakim, around the year 605 BC, uh, there was the first exile, and we can see that in 2 Kings 24, in the first six verses. It's also the same one that Daniel uh, went in, in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1. The exiles to whom Jeremiah is writing here is the second wave. They were the nobility, the soldiers, and the craftsmen. And that happened around 597, as we can see here during the reign of, uh, the end of the reign of Jehoiakim, the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, as said in 2 Kings 24, 8-16, and also in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Now, the final group of the exiles are the third wave, and that's the one that we're most familiar with, the uh, depopulation of Judah for all intents and purposes, that took place in 586 after Nebuchadnezzar had Jerusalem and the temple destroyed, as recorded in 2 Kings 25, 11-12, and at the end of 2 Chronicles 36, and 19 and 20. So Jeremiah is most likely writing this letter not terribly long after Zedekiah ascends to the throne, so somewhere between maybe 596 and 595. Now, why that's important is because this is a very tempestuous time in Judah. Uh, We can see this in the events of the chapters beforehand, in chapter 27 and 28, where Jeremiah proclaims that Yahweh had elevated Nebuchadnezzar to be king, not only over Babylon, but over this whole empire, and that everyone needed to serve him, and that those who served him would have things go well with them. If anybody rebelled, they were going to be punished. Now, the Judites were restive. They... Uh, thought that Jeremiah was traitorous. What do you mean that God has raised up Nebuchadnezzar? Uh, And there's false prophets like Hananiah in chapter 28, who gave hope that Jeconiah, the other exiles, and all the vessels of the temple that had been taken from Jerusalem to Babylon already would actually return in a very short time. Uh, Two years, Hananiah said. And so Judahites everywhere, both in Judah and also these exiles who had left Judah but now were in Babylon, were very confident that Yahweh would rescue Judah yet again from the hands of a pagan oppressor. And therefore, in their minds, there is no point in really getting settled in Babylon because they were expecting to return back to Jerusalem after a very short time. 
Now, this hope was grounded in past events. Did not Yahweh rescue Jerusalem from the Assyrians? Was not Yahweh God of Israel? Was not his house at Zion? In 2 Kings 18.19, Isaiah 36.37, and Jeremiah 7 and verse 4. And how would Yahweh allow a pagan king to get glory over him? And it's just completely unexpected. Now, we, we think about this, and it seems completely silly to us. We need to remember something. Hindsight is 2020, for good, for, and that's said for a good reason. It's hard for us to read Jeremiah and to put ourselves in this moment. It's very hard for us because we can see where it's all going. We can see what it's all heading to. But that's because we're afterward. That's not the way it would have looked on the ground at that time. Yes, we know how strong Babylon is. We know that Yahweh is using Babylon to judge Judah as he had used Assyria to judge Israel. And we know what's going to happen within the decade. They knew that Babylon was powerful. That's not that they denied that. But they believed Yahweh would save them. And they had greater confidence in Egypt than was really merited. We also understand that the Egyptian uh, rulers were on a inevitable decline that would not they would not come out of but for all the judaites knew uh it was possible there's gonna be even another greater glory period for egypt here in the near future uh something that we know would not come to pass but they at the time did not and so that's why uh jeremiah is compelled to write because yes we know what judah is about to experience we know the theological and national cataclysm they're about to undergo and in fact, even Jeremiah knows these things. It's not like it's, it, he's ignorant of it either. Uh, but all these other people in Judah not only do not, but can't even imagine that it would be possible. So Jeremiah has to write to these exiles to make it clear that, yes, uh, this is what you're going to go through. This is what you need to do. Because all this false hopes abounds. And so he begins the letter in the first three verses and establishes what's going on. Um, the, who, he's writing to the, the exiles, the elders, and the priests and prophets and the people. So that would have included Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes, the elders, the priests, the prophets, the craftsmen, the smiths, uh, from Second Kings and Jeremiah 28. Uh, it seems from verse 3 that Zedekiah is sending an official delegation. Maybe it's got bringing tribute. Maybe it's just an official delegation bringing some news or a report or something. And so Jeremiah takes advantage of that opportunity. And so he writes this letter and he sends it with Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah. And these are court officials. And uh, their, parent, their, their fathers especially have been uh, helpful in the past to Jeremiah. Now in verses 4 through 7 we get Jeremiah's core exhortation which is they're to build houses and live in them. They're to plant gardens and eat their fruit. They're to marry. They're to have children to multiply. They're not to diminish, in verses 5 and 6. Uh, in, in verse 7, they're expected to pray and seek for the shalom of the city in which they have been taken captive. In the it's shalom, they will find shalom. Um, shalom there is a Hebrew word. And normally people associate shalom with peace. And that's certainly uh, part of the, the sense here. But uh, there's more to shalom than just a cessation from hostility. And that's why a lot of times uh, it's translated, like here in the English Standard Version, welfare and some others, uh, prosperity. Uh, they're, they're to seek the wholeness and the soundness of the city. Uh, so they can be free from hindrances, from peaceful and prosperous living. That's really what Jeremiah wants from these exiles. They're to basically get used to the idea of being there in 
Babylon. Why does he have to say this? Well, in verses 8 through 14, he establishes why. That there are these prophets that are so-called, and dreamers, so-called, uh, who claim that Yahweh is giving them information and revelations that suggest that the exile will not be long. And Yahweh, through Jeremiah, does not want them to be deceived by these people. And in fact, Jeremiah will set forth Judah's true hope, that there will be 70 years for Babylon, and then Yahweh is going to visit Judah in exile, all the places he scattered them, and he will bring them back to their land. And of course, we have verse 11, which is famous, that Yahweh already knows what he's going to think for them. It's designs for shalom again, just from ver like in verse 7, and not ra'ah, which is evil or calamity. And he's giving hope in the future. There's a hope in the future for them. At that time, they will call to Yahweh and seek him, that he will be found by them, and will restore them uh, to the land from which they have been exiled. And so Jeremiah is saying there will be a return. It's just not going to be yet. And again, in verses 15 through 20, we're getting more of this context of why this is necessary. The exile is saying, well, Yahweh's raised up prophets for us. And when we hear that in verse 15, it's, it's not merely a, a statement of a fact. It's also uh, this confidence in these people and the confidence that, uh, uh, in the fact that Judah will remain in its land and these people in exile will be brought back very shortly. And now this could be a rebuttal of the exiles to the letter that we have just seen so far. Uh, it's possible. Uh, or maybe it's just an anticipated objection that Jeremiah is is kind of countering here. Uh, and Yahweh's give his word, which means that, look, what's going to happen in Judah is going to take place. There's going to be suffer, sword, pestilence, and famine suffered. They're going to be tossed and scattered about the nations. They're going to be held in derision and a terror because they did not listen to Yahweh. They did not do what he said, verses 16 through 19. And they are to hear this word that Yahweh has spoken to them. In verse 20. The rest of this section are two sections that deal with specific individuals. Maybe it's dealing within the same context of the original letter or maybe in response. Uh, there is special condemnation reserved for two individuals, Ahab the son of Kaliah and Zedekiah the son of Masaiah. Messiah. Messiah. Uh, they are condemned as false prophets and adulterers in Jeremiah 28, 21, 23. Uh, there's this expectation they're going to be uh, killed by uh, Nebuchadnezzar. They're, in fact, roasted in the fire. That it will become a curse. Uh, Yahweh make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. That they will become basically a, a, an insult, a derision, a curse, trying to uh, be a horror in the mind of Israel. Um, which is a pretty uh, significant uh, thing that you definitely don't want a prophet to be saying against you. Now, the second section here in verses 24 through 32, we're on much firmer ground saying this is not part of the original letter. That, in fact, after the letter is taken and read, that uh, we have this response from Zedekiah, uh, Shemaiah of Nehalam to uh to uh, Zephaniah the priest and other priests there in the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, he wrote this response saying, hey, aren't you supposed to keep the crazy guys in prison? Uh, essentially. And uh, verse 26, madman, they're considering Jeremiah. And so why haven't you rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth? Why haven't you put him in the stock? Because he's saying wacko things like, we should just prepare to live here for a while. And uh, 
Zephaniah, in fact, reads this letter while Jeremiah hears. And the word of Yahweh comes to Jeremiah. Uh, and Shemaiah is made the ultimate curse that he is going to be punished, that they will not have anyone living among the people. Which means that his name will be snuffed out, his heritage is lost in Israel. Because he has spoken rebellion against Yahweh. And it will take place before Yahweh comes to restore his people. And that's what we learn of Jeremiah's letter and its aftermath. So, okay, it's an interesting historical detail. Why is it important? Well, it's first and foremost a letter to encourage those Judahites in exile to come to grips with reality, to accept their fate as exiles. There's a lot of false prophets around who are trying to give them false hope of restoration in the near future. And if you think about it, as long as you trust those prophets at any day now, any day now, any day now, you're not going to be able to really get settled or to develop any kind of healthy living pattern uh, in the land in which they have found themselves. And just think about it. Let, let's say practically that they completely just laugh at Jeremiah's letter. Um... It's certainly possible that some of them listened and respected it and lived according to it, but uh, if Ezekiel is any indication, Ezekiel is actually a, a true prophet in exile. Uh, a lot of the Israelites in, in exile did not listen to Jeremiah. So think about it for a second. Uh, they're going to live here for this decade where they're keeping their up. We're going to go home. We're going to go home. Any moment now. Any moment now. Yahweh's going to save us. Yahweh's going to deliver us. Yahweh's going to deliver us. And then, after a decade of that, to get the news. They've entered the city. They've taken the king. They've plundered the temple. They've burned down the temple. They've torn down the city. And then to see the rest of the people come into exile and join you. Can you imagine how they would have felt having hoped for ten years and then this? They would have remembered Jeremiah's letter bitterly for the lost decade that they had experienced and they would have experienced exile all over again, exile anew. Not, of course, that they had somehow left and come back, but to realize that their hope had been extinguished, that they had been nourishing, that had been sustaining them, was false hope, as Jeremiah had warned them. And terrible. Now, it's not as if Jeremiah is giving them no hope about restoration. Instead, he's saying that God's revealed purpose means it's going to take a lot longer than they would have imagined. And that's why they need to carry on life as usual. Now, we mention this and talk about it because as Christians, we're to understand ourselves as citizens of the kingdom of heaven in Philippians 3 and verse 20. That in 1 Peter 1 and verse 1 and chapter 2 and verse 11, we are to recognize that we are exiles and sojourners in our land. And so, we are, the message of Jeremiah needs to resonate with us as well. In the letter of 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes to the Thessalonians because some have been stirred up and, th and have been given reason to think that the end is, is, is so close that uh, that might have even come, or that it's coming so soon that many have quit their jobs and are just expecting the eschaton, expecting Jesus to return at, at any moment, so there's no reason to, to do anything. Just, just to be ready for his, except get ready for his return. And Paul told them that their quote unquote exile, that's not his word, that's ours here based on Jeremiah, but that their time on earth, their sojourn on earth, might be longer than they imagined. And so what does he tell them to do specifically in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12? That they needed to work quietly and to eat their own bread. It's interesting, they're supposed to, to seek 
peace and quiet and to live as normally. So as exiles awaiting our full restoration when the Lord returns and we obtain the resurrection, we can also be prone to the same type of message like the Judahites and Thessalonians. There have been many times in, in Christian history where people have stirred up a lot of people to expect the imminent eschaton, that it would happen at any moment, and dates are, are stated, and, and, and all these predictions are made, and, and people get all their hopes up, and then nothing. And their hope is crushed. We do well to consider Jeremiah's letter and Paul's exhortation that the Lord absolutely may return any time. Indeed, the 70, indeed, he could come back today. He could come back tomorrow. We don't know when he's coming back. But on the other hand, the 70 years of Babylon, so to speak, may still need fulfillment. And we need to carry on our lives and to seek to perpetuate the people of God. It's said that we turn aside from God or pretend he's not there, but we're supposed to, to work and eat. We can marry and have children and, and continue on in God's purposes. What's interesting, though, is that the Judahites in exile are not only to perpetuate themselves, but also to give thought to the shalom, which we're saying is the peace or welfare prosperity of the city in which they're exiled in verse 7. Now, it's possible that some Judahites would have ended up in other cities, but a good number, and I mean those to whom the letter has been directly sent, find themselves in Babylon. So let's think about this for a second. Jeremiah is telling them that they not only need to get used to exile, but they need to pray to Yahweh for the shalom of Babylon. The shalom of the city that's full of paganism, that's oppressing the people of God. To pray for the shalom of the power that would soon destroy the city and temple of the people of Yahweh within a decade. How could, how could God do that? Does God really want all this great stuff to come to Babylon? Well, the same God who spoke this, well, in Jeremiah 15, 51, also uh, basically read Babylon the Riot Act and completely prophesy its doom and destruction, and also in Isaiah 47. And those prophecies would come to pass powerfully. Babylon is no longer an inhabited area. It has been greatly humiliated. Yahweh was not going to grant shalom to Babylon because Babylon deserved it. Instead, he was going to grant shalom to Babylon for the benefit of his people who lived in Babylon. Because in its shalom, they would find shalom. And Israel desperately needed some shalom. A time of peace, a time of a little bit of prosperity, and the ability to recover from generations of conflict and famine and plague and overall devastation of the population. Uh, Ezekiel's not far off when he talks about the fact that uh, two-thirds of the population would have been lost in famine and sword and plagues and other things and all the upheavals that had taken place in the land since the death of Josiah in the year 609. And so Israel needed some time of peace. And it's interesting to even note how the end of Babylon came when, when the power changed, Cyrus walked in peacefully because God's people were still there. And God was looking out for them. Now, that's written about Israel in exile, but it's also true about Christians as we live in exile. In Ephesians 6.12, Paul reminds us that flesh and blood are not our real enemies. That the spiritual forces uh, behind this present darkness, they're the ones who have deceived the flesh and blood around us. Those are our enemies, not the flesh and blood that's been deceived. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-4, through 4, the Apostle Paul encourages Timothy. Um, 
First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Interesting that during our time here on earth, Paul would like for us to pray for all men that we may have peace and and, and tranquility. And live a peaceful and quiet life. Then we might have, if we could, shalom. So that all can come to knowledge of truth and be saved. In Romans 12, verse 17, we are to give thought to what is honorable among all men. In Romans 1, and verse 16, that the gospel is God's power to salvation. So we need to proclaim that good news so people can come out of Babylon, so to speak. And so as Christians, we need to remember that even though we're in exile... We do not have the right to treat that exile as a complete withdrawal from our culture and society. No matter how pagan or degraded our culture or society might be, we must actively seek the welfare of those around us. We need to love them. We need to do good to them. We need to live as lights in this world. In Matthew 5, 13-16 and Galatians 6 and verse 10. After all, if Jeremiah can tell the Israelites to pray for the Shalom of Babylon the oppressive pagan city. If Paul can pray for all authorities, uh, though we can live a peaceful, tranquil life, those same authorities on behalf of which uh, Paul would have them pray are the Roman authorities. Again, an oppressive pagan power. So we also can find ways to pray and to seek the shalom of the place in which we live. Now, it would be remiss of us if we were to talk about this letter and not talk about verse 11. To not talk about, for I know the plans I have for you, declares Yahweh, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. This passage seems to be everywhere, isn't it? It's so easily taken out of its context and made into a proof text. It's in all kinds of things that are anything about the future. Marriage, graduation, anything like that. Because it's such a romantic, wonderful now idea that God has thoughts of peace for you. And that God has all this good planned for you. And while it's true it's easy to proof text it and to divorce it from its context, it's easy to abuse the passage. But I think a lot of people who get a little bit too militant about uh, its, its, its uh, decontextualization need to stop and think a moment. Because the passage does have an ability to resonate with believers to this day. Jeremiah has a very important reason for this message. He's, he's letting Israel... And this is actually very unlike Jeremiah. If you had any experience in Jeremiah, very little of Jeremiah could be considered positive in any way, shape, or form. Isaiah, yes, he's got to denounce a lot of stuff in his day, but he's got all kinds of wonderful, glorious pictures of the future. Uh, Ezekiel is, is very depressing in the beginning part, but once the city's fallen, the last uh, uh, ten chapters or so are much more encouraging. In Jeremiah, you've got certain parts around th- chapters 31 through 33. Uh, otherwise, it's all really depressing because he's right there at the bitter end with a lot of people who have very hard hearts. Uh, yet even then, he is extending the hope of restoration. He's saying, look, yes, God's going to come back and going to remember you. Yes, there's ultimately good that's going to happen to the people. And so he's writing to encourage the exiles. Because they're already exiled. Now it's not time to browbeat them. The time is to say, yeah, you're in exile. But God has hope, still extends hope to you. We're in exile on the earth. 
And just as Jeremiah wants the Israelites in exile to anchor their hope in the recognition that Babylon will have its 70 years, and then Yahweh will return to gather his people and take them back to his land. So Christians, as we go through the trials of this life, are to be anchored in the hope of the resurrection, that God does have uh, good and wholeness and shalom and peace planned for us in the end, that we will have a future and a hope in the resurrection. And that way, Jeremiah 29, 11 is not very dissimilar from 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9, where, yes, they're in the middle of trial, and that's why they need to be anchored in this hope, the uh, inheritance reserved for them, uh, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. But in order to appreciate this message, and this is where a lot of people get uh, have, have an understandable beef, you've got to recognize you're in exile. If you think everything's great and you're in the world and you're supposed to be in the world and you're supposed to act like the world and hear a message like this, it's going to be warped. You have to realize you're in exile. You've got to experience that disconnect, that uh, dis-ease uh, of where you're at in order to appreciate the message. That, yes, right now we're in a difficult, hostile environment and it's going to turn out in the latter end better for us than perhaps it is in the present. And that we're tempted to doubt and to be afraid of what may come and, and to despair. That we need to remember what God is planning for us and to draw strength and encouragement from that. In fact, we do well to remember that we are in exile, but that it is not a permanent exile. And that we need to be sustained in the hope of the resurrection and restoration of God. And not to be tempted to give in and accommodate ourselves to the lies and comforts of Babylon. Because that's what Jeremiah is trying to do. Yes, he's trying to tell them to be to live there, but he doesn't tell them to become there. Live there, seek its welfare, but know that you will come out one day. And so you are not to become Babylon because you're in Babylon. And so that's why Jeremiah wrote to the Judites in exile. That to carry on their normal patterns of life, Babylon has its 70 years. Seek the shalom of the place you're at so that you can have shalom. Don't trust in those false prophets promising quick restoration. Yahweh did not speak to them. And that's the kind of lessons we can learn from it. We must seek the welfare of Babylon, the land in which we are, the city in which we are, but not for Babylon's sake. It's not for us to make Babylon great again. It's for us to live our lives in hope of restoration to God's promised land. The days of Babylon are going to need to be fulfilled before our restoration, and that's why we need to carry on our lives in some kind of normal according to God's purposes. But we need to keep our confidence that there will be this day of restoration. It will not be there for Babylon, but it will be there for God's people. And that's why we need to live godly and peaceable lives until that day of resurrection. And thus may we serve God in Christ to live as citizens of the heavenly kingdom, even though we're in exile in Babylon, and to put our hope in the day of resurrection to come. We're again so glad that you've joined us. And if you've been encouraged by this, you'd like to talk about it more, maybe you'd like to talk about some other spiritual subject, maybe you should have a prayer request or just need a talk, or maybe you'd like to l learn more about the venture to Christ, uh, maybe you can look up some other sermons if you're interested in, in, other, in other lessons, or articles from The Voice, or we have some videos available as well, and you can also find us on social media, but our website is venicechurchofchrist.org, and you can also get a hold of me at my website, deverbovitae.com, that's www.deverbovitae.com. We again thank you. Have a great day.